Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. Apologies, we're a little bit later than usual today. I had a long night recapping the Academy Awards, and what an Academy Awards it was. If you haven't seen that recap yet, there's a little thing up in the corner of the screen. You can click that. I had a lot of thoughts about last night's show, but we are back somewhat fresh today to talk about the weekend box office. Before we get started, I want to thank my partners here on Charts with Dan Carbon Health. We've been working together for a few months now, and I'm really happy to be partnered up with them because I love their mission, which is to make healthcare accessible and affordable to as many people as possible. They have locations in over a dozen states, but it's not just about where you are right now. It's about where you might be. If you're traveling, make sure that you download that Carbon Health app app because they have locations in over a dozen states and it's great to know if you're traveling and you need some kind of medical service whether it's a virtual appointment or an in-clinic appointment you can check the carbon health app see if there's a location near you and book an appointment quick and easy. And like I said before, I just love their mission of providing accessible healthcare and also partnering up with communities like this that are not just enthusiastic about sponsors, but are enthusiastic about life and the arts and everything else. I've really appreciated all the time I've had with Carbon Health as my partner, and I'm proud to present the show alongside them. So be sure to check out that description below for more about Carbon Health. So let's get right into it with the weekend top five. And as we expected, The Lost City was the number one movie over the weekend with a $30.4 million final gross. That's about where people were expecting it to debut. But there was some really good news in my mind for the recovery of the box office. And that's when you look at the demographics of who actually showed up for the movie. If you'll remember a few months ago, I think it was around the time that West Side Story was coming out and then we compared it to things like Spider-Man No Way Home. The thing that we noticed with the demographics as far as people who are returning to theaters was that the older female audience was the most reticent and slowest to head back to the movie theater, largely due to health concerns with COVID-19, etc. Well, it seems like that is waning because Deadline reported that the demographic breakdown for The Lost City was about 61% female and nearly half that demographic was over 35, which is a demographic that you want to see returning to theaters. So we've seen several indicators, steady indicators throughout the year that the box office recovery is actually happening this time. Of course, Things can change. Let's hope that they don't, but things can change. But it does look like as we approach the summer movie season that we are starting to get back to some semblance of normal. Because here we had a movie with The Lost City that reached out to the older female demographic and had a pretty good box office opening. This was Sandra Bullock's first theatrical film since Ocean's 8 back in 2018. She'd done a couple of Netflix. This was Channing Tatum's second movie this year after he took a five-year break, almost five-year break, from live-action films since 2017's Kingsman the Golden Circle. It looks like audiences were ready to welcome both of them back with open arms. So we'll see how The Lost City continues to do. Traditionally, this is the type of movie that's not going to fall off too much week to week uh, and should be in it for the long haul. We'll see how it performs up against Morbius. But as we've seen with the demographic breakdowns, particularly on the comic book films, they're not really going for the same audience. So it'll be interesting to see what the comparison is next week between those two. Looking at the rest of the top five, The Batman had another hell 
healthy hold in its fourth week. It dropped 44% for another $20 million domestic total. It is approaching the $350 million mark domestically. And in other superhero news, as it begins to make its way to digital release and also uh, physical media, Spider-Man No Way Home passed another big milestone. It became just the third movie ever domestically to pass $800 million at the box office. It joins Avengers Endgame and Star Wars The Force Awakens. That's pretty good company to be in, and it's probably the last big landmark box office-wise domestically that we're going to see Spider-Man No Way Home pass, but what an impressive performance uh, in any situation, but especially given the pandemic situation that we were in at the end of last year and going into this year to see Spider-Man No Way Home pass $800 million. A lot of people now bringing that movie home. The cat's out of the bag. I saw uh, like five advertisements uh, leading up to the Oscar last night that just had like the finale of the movie in it so uh, if you don't know what happened don't open your eyes anywhere because all you see is who's in that movie and team-ups and, and moments etc it was it was literally on the Oscars last night another really interesting story unfolding in the box office top five for the third straight week there has been some international flair in the domestic box office top five which I'm really excited about two weeks ago it was the BTS concert which broke into the top Top five. Last week, we talked about Jujutsu Kaisen Zero and its strong performance. And then this week, we have a film out of India that performed really strongly. That film is called Triple R. It opened in third place at $9.5 million, which is a very impressive debut for an Indian film uh, here in the domestic marketplace. We've talked about uh, throughout the beginning of this year how uh, films out of India have done very well in the limited release marketplace under a thousand screens this was not in limited release and this did really good numbers as a matter of fact when we look at the top five bollywood if you want to call it indian cinema film openings here domestically Triple R opened second only to Bahubali 2, the conclusion back in 2017. Triple R did better than PK in 2014, Dangal in 2016, and Bahubali the beginning in 2015. So the best performance by a film out of India in five years here uh, domestically. This was a three-hour epic from Indian director S.S. Rajamuli. There was so much excitement about this film. I saw so many people that were tweeting me and leaving me YouTube comments saying, uh, did you see Triple R? Are you going to see triple r uh, and you know normally i would have this weekend being oscar weekend and towards the end of the month as i'm wrapping up things for patreon and the fact that it's about a three hour long movie i didn't have time to go see it this weekend i'm gonna try to catch it before it leaves theaters because i've heard really good things about it uh, but it's just exciting to see so many different types of movies breaking through uh, domestically here and seeing moviegoers broaden their horizons i, I just like to see that a as a film lover that it's not just movies movies from the big studios that are dominating the top five that you see people getting excited about these special events. Um, that's really fun. It's really fun to see. There is one thing that I do need to note with the domestic release of Triple R, uh, and it's similar to what I noted with uh, the BTS uh, concert, also really with the Batman and its release, which is that the tickets for Triple R were being priced as a special event. So they were a little higher than your standard movie ticket. For example, here in Arkansas, uh, I did a 
check, there was a matinee showing of Triple R that was $5.25 higher than a matinee showing of The Lost City that was happening at the same time. So keep in mind that while I still think it's an impressive debut, the fact that it is specially priced as an event does inflate that box office revenue somewhat. Looping back around to the rest of the top five, Uncharted had another small drop in its sixth week in the top five. It dropped just 36% to add another $5 million to its domestic total. And Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, which was a strong performer last week, actually added theaters, but it did prove to be a fairly top-heavy, fairly front-loaded. It dropped 75% from its debut last weekend, staying in the top five with another $4.5 million. Before we get to the rest of the box office news for this weekend, it should also be noted that yesterday was the Academy Awards, and I've talked about all of the controversy in my previous video. I would also like to say congratulations to all of the winners. Of course, Coda, the big Best Picture winner, also picking up Adapted Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor awards. Uh, it was very exciting to watch the movie win all of those, especially because they were an awards season underdog for much of the awards season. But there's also something that a lot of people were talking about. The ratings for the Academy Awards were not the worst ever. That would be last year, but it was the second worst ratings ever. And many people pointing their fingers at the movies themselves. Well, let's look at the box office totals for the 10 Best Picture nominees this year. Now, it should, of course, be noted that these came out uh, largely during the pandemic when a lot of people weren't going to the movies, especially more adult-driven movies uh, such as these. But we can see here that Dune was the highest-grossing Best Picture nominee domestically from uh, 2021, the only one to even come close to breaking $100 million at $108 million. Then we had West Side Story with $38.5 million Licorice Pizza with $17 million, followed by King Richard with $15 million, although that was a hybrid release. Nightmare Alley with $11 million, Belfast with $9.2 million, Drive My Car with $2.2 million, and then Coda, Don't Look Up, and The Power of the Dog, which had very limited theatrical releases, but no reported numbers. Those are all, of course, on streaming services, so uh, Apple and Netflix not reporting any box office numbers whatsoever uh, for those films, although they would not be hefty totals because they were not in very many theaters for very long. And when we look at the Academy Awards and its ratings, a lot of people are saying that the reason that people don't watch the Oscars is because nobody has seen the movies. And there were even jokes that were made about it on the Oscars last night. I honestly don't think you should make a joke on the Oscars about nobody seeing the movies because, you know, that's kind of a sensitive subject. But I guess that there were a lot of jokes being made about sensitive subjects last night. But I also wanted to go back and look at the box office history for Best Picture nominees specifically to see what movies have been making the cut over the last decade or so and how they've been performing at the box office. So I went back for the previous 10 years. These are the 10 highest grossing box office films that were nominated for Best Picture uh, from Oscar year 2012 to 2022. And you can see that Black Panther was number one with $700 million, then a big drop off to American Sniper with $350 million, followed by Joker with $335 million, Gravity at $274 million, The Marvel Martian at 228 million, Bohemian Rhapsody at 216 million, A Star is Born at 215 million, then Dunkirk at 190 million, The Revenant at 183 million, and Lincoln at 182 million. And I think that the big thing to note when you look at this list is absent perhaps The Revenant, I don't think that there was a legitimate best picture contender in this group. And when I say contender, obviously it's incredibly impressive to be nominated for best picture. But I don't really think that any of these films 
films were ever picked heavily to win the Oscar for Best Picture. So I think it does lend some credence to the idea that, especially in the past decade or so, the Best Picture frontrunners have not been these huge blockbusters like we saw in years past. Of course, it wasn't the case every year that the Best Picture winner was a big box office blockbuster, but it's been a long time since we saw a movie like Titanic or Return of the King sweep its way to an Academy Award win. These big Hollywood epics. And I think that there's a couple ways to go with this. I think that number one, the studios just aren't making those kinds of films in the same way that they used to. They are still making big, big budget epic films, but they are largely now aimed more toward the comic book genre, the action genre, not so much in the what you would call the prestige category. And I do think that some of the comic book movies have been slighted and perhaps have a little bit of a stigma on them, but I, I don't think too many and I don't think any, honestly, that would have won Best Picture. So I think that part of it is that the major studios aren't making big movies the way that they used to that would contend for Best Picture. Another thing that you can point to is the splintering of the distribution system. With all of these different streaming services, you have more movies, and you have movies that don't live in the public consciousness in quite the same way. Coda is a great movie, but it really never saw the inside of almost any movie theater here in the U.S., and not a lot of people have Apple TV+. Plus. So I think that a lot of people probably weren't interested in CODA because they not only hadn't seen CODA, but didn't have the capability to see CODA. I think that that is a challenge that has to be addressed as we go forward. But I think you also have to point the finger at the audience a little bit because there were some movies last year from big studios, movies like The Last Duel and movies like Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, that were the big swings that you used to see from studios, meaning big budget blockbusters, big star director, or big stars in the lead, or both, that audiences just didn't show up to see. And I think that you have to take that into account as well. So as we look at the box office prospects for the Academy Awards, I'd say it would be a combination of studios perhaps needing to be a little riskier in the movies that they make and really put a lot behind a movie that they believe in and that they think could sweep its way to the Academy Awards. But I also think that the audience has to start showing up for the movies like this when the studios make them because otherwise it's going to be a, a bit of a chicken and the egg situation and I think it's really good for everybody that the maximum number of people possible are seeing these movies that are nominated for best picture so uh, studios back movies that are a little bit riskier maybe audiences maybe broaden your horizons and see some movies that you might not otherwise and you know let's keep this thing alive because the oscars as messy and crazy and imperfect as they are are still a real highlight for a lot of movie fans and i'd love to see that outreach continue and broaden because the audience has shrunk for so many years. Okay, let's turn back now to the box office for this past weekend, and let's look at the limited release or specialty box office. These were movies that played in 1,000 theaters or fewer. This is one of the buzziest movies of the year so far. Everything, everywhere, all at once from A24. It opened in only 10 theaters, but was able to net over half a million dollars total from just those 10 theaters at $509,659. That is an exception number. We'll look at the per theater number and where that stands in just a moment. At number two is the movie Emma in 805 theaters. That banked another $460,000, which means that the number one and 
number two films in limited release are fronted by uh, Asian women, which I think is great as far as diversification of who's starring in these movies and who these movies are about. In third place, the 2022 Oscar shorts in 215 theaters banked another $130,000, perhaps some people trying to get their Oscar ballots marked and see as many of the nominees as they could. In fourth place in 216 theaters was The Worst Person in the World, which added another $87,000 to its total. And in fifth place was the movie Alice in 119 theaters in its second week of release, which added $68,000. Looking at the top grocers so far this year in limited release, we have BTS Permission to Dance at number one still with $6.8 million, followed by Cyrano with $3.8 million, then The Worst Person in the World at $2.9 million, Rade Shyam at number four with $1.8 million, then the 2022 Oscar shorts at number five. That is unchanged from last week. Uma moves up three spots to number six with $1.7 million, followed by The Cashmere Files, which drops down one spot, The Godfather 50th Anniversary, which drops down one spot, The Beatles Get Back in IMAX, which drops down a spot, and then The Tiger Rising, which stays at number 10 with $835,000. Of course, if everything, everywhere, all at once remains in limited release uh, and continues to build on its performance so far, we will very likely see it on this chart in the near future. I mentioned that Everything, Everywhere, All at Once put up a great per theater average. It was actually the best per theater average of the year so far. This is the top five for this past weekend, and you can see that Everything, Everywhere, All at Once easily taking the number one spot with a $50,966 average per theater in 10 theaters. Then we have Triple R in 1,200 theaters with $7,917 per theater, followed by The Lost City in over 4,200 theaters with just over $7,000 per theater. The Batman dipping under 4,000 theaters for the first time, still bringing in about $5,000 in each theater. And then the film Mothering Sunday, which opened in only five theaters, grossing $2,000 per theater. And when we look at the per theater averages for 2022, everything, everywhere, all at once, easily setting that mark. The $50,000 average is number one for the year. Second place is the worst person in the world. When it opened back in February, it averaged $34,000 in the four theaters in which it played. Then we had the first weekend of the Batman, which brought in $30,000 in each of the 4,400 plus theaters that it played in. Then Ahed's Knee from last week in one theater, averaging $16,980. And then the Batman's second week of release brought in $15,000 in each of the 4,400 theaters in its sophomore outing. So a great start for everything, everywhere, all at once. That that may very well be one of the top per theater averages of the year when we get to the end of 2022. But it's these little signs, these little things that you see, the specialty box office and these per theater averages going back up. The fact that you have female-driven films that are opening better. It just says that this recovery is, is clicking along. We're getting there. We're just a little step at a time, getting back to some semblance of normal. When we look at the road to recovery, this weekend's box office totals versus 2019's and 2021's, you can see we are still well below 2019. This was a big weekend. Captain Marvel was still out uh, back in 2019, and Us had also just come out. So we're not going to match those totals. We'll see how Morbius does this upcoming weekend. But you can also see that we're well above where we were in 2021, although you can see last year the box office was starting to come back to life. And and really to say that this recovery is still happening, we need to start clicking our totals up as well uh, here. But we are entering the summer movie season very soon. We've got Doctor Strange and a bunch of other things. So hopefully the summer of 2022 is going to be outperforming summer of 2021. Otherwise, I think that we are in 
really big trouble. When we look at the box office market share, which is something that we're now tracking, it's a new chart here. Not much difference from last week. Pretty much Paramount picking up about 1% market share uh, due to the opening of the Lost City. We also saw some market share going to the miscellaneous other category, largely because of Triple R's opening weekend and uh, some market share being taken away from Disney and Universal. But still, Sony and Warner Brothers controlling 55% of the domestic market share for the year so far. Sony, of course, looking to add to that total this upcoming weekend with the release of Morbius. So we'll keep tracking that as we have been doing uh, these last few weeks. Before we continue, I want to thank the sponsor for today's show, Athletic Greens. I've been talking about Athletic Greens a lot, and it's because I enjoy Athletic Greens a lot. It's something that I've integrated into my daily routine. So many people take all different kinds of multivitamins, whether it's a bunch of pills or a bunch of powders. You have to go to a bunch of different stores, try to collect them all, check off your list. Oh, do I have this vitamin? Do I have that probiotic? It can be so expensive, so time-consuming, and so complicated. Why go through all of that when you can get Athletic Greens? It's all together in one pouch that you take once a day. As I said, I've integrated it into my daily routine. I can throw it into a shake if I'm making a shake in the morning, or I can just put it into a cup of water because it not only has great stuff like vitamins and probiotics that are good for you, it also tastes good, which is sadly something that is left out of the equation a lot of times when we talk about multivitamins. I started taking Athletic Greens because I am focusing a lot on myself this year. I'm trying to work out more. I'm also focusing on things like gut health to improve my overall health, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And Athletic Greens has so much stuff, including probiotics, that my body will actually absorb that helps me achieve those goals. It's also lifestyle friendly and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no artificial anything, while still tasting good. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com dan. Again, that is athleticgreens.com Dan, D-A-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. Let's look now outside the domestic marketplace to the international market. And Triple R was the number one film internationally. These are all markets outside of the United States and Canada. However, there is an asterisk there. Because this was such a big movie, Triple R did get some mainstream media coverage. And this was the reported total that I could find in those box office reports. However, that is an unconfirmed total. I do not have hard data to back that up. These are just reported figures uh, from India and other international markets, but still, because these are reported in the media, I wanted to uh, put it in there with that caveat, but the number one movie internationally with over $50 million, that bumps the Batman down to number two with another $25 million. then Moonfall with $10.3 million, that's largely because it opened in China this past weekend, uh, however, it was kind of bad timing because China is seeing a big lockdown uh, due to a COVID surge, so uh, perhaps less than that film would have made under different circumstances, Unch- charted the same uh, situation happening with it. It is uh, playing in China to muted numbers, another $7.7 million. I should say the same thing is happening with the Batman as well. And then in selected international markets, Michael Bay's new film Ambulance uh, remaining in the top five with $6.7 million. So when you combine the domestic marketplace and the international marketplace, you get the worldwide total. And again, I've got Triple R reported as the number one movie worldwide. Again, that is an unconfirmed total of $60 million. The Batman at number two with another $45.5 million. Then The Lost City in third place with $34.7 million. Uncharted in fourth place with $12.7 million. 
and Moonfall in fifth place with $10.3 million. When we look at the overall box office for 2022 so far, the Batman, of course, domestically, still easily the number one film of the year with $331 million as it steams toward $350 million. Uncharted at number two with $133 million, followed by Scream at just over $80 million. Dog takes the number four spot domestically with $57 million, dropping Jackass Forever just behind in fifth place. It's now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Death on the Nile is at number six with $44.9 million, but it will likely soon be looking up at The Lost City. It enters the chart at number seven with its debut, which was just over $30 million. Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, moves up one spot to number eight. That bumps Marry Me down two spots to number nine. Moonfall down two spots to number 10. And the 355, one of the earliest movies to enter this chart, I think maybe the first one to enter the chart this year, has dropped out of the 2022 domestic box office chart. Let's look at the box office worldwide, and we have a new world champion for 2022 because the Batman's sustained box office performance has now put it at the top of the chart with $672 million closing in on $700 million. That puts it at number one. It bumps the battle at Lake Chongjin 2 down to number two, followed by Too Cool to Kill at number three. Uncharted remains at number four. Nice View remains at number five. And then number six through 10 also stay the same. Boonie Bears Back to Earth, Scream, Death on the Nile, Sniper, and Only Fools Rush In. So that's also big news from the worldwide marketplace. The Batman, now 2022's number one film globally. The question being, how long is it going to stay there? What might knock it off? Is it going to be Doctor Strange? Is it going to be a movie that we don't expect? Only time will tell. Believe it or not, we are only 25% of the way through 2022, but also 25% of the way through 2022. That's kind of hard to believe. Looking now at one of my favorite charts, this is the worldwide box office over the previous 365 days. So if you take today, you rewind it to one year ago, Uh, on the calendar. These are the top 10 movies globally. Spider-Man No Way Home, obviously still number one, now approaching $1.9 billion, also breaking the 100-day mark of release. The Battle at Lake Chongjin at number two with $913 million, followed by No Time to Die at number three, F9 at number four, and then The Batman now cracking the top five for the previous 365 days with its $672.8 million gross. That knocks the Battle at Lake Chongjin two down one spot to number six followed by venom let there be carnage and then you'll see that shang chi and the legend of the ten rings has moved up one spot too cool to kill has moved up one spot and eternals has returned to this chart with its 402 million dollar gross and that is because i believe for the first time in the history of the 365 day chart tenet came close but didn't quite make it we have a film that made it an entire year in the global box office top 10 and is now retired from that chart and that's That's why we have started the Charts with Dan 365-day Hall of Fame, and we welcome the first entrant, Godzilla vs. Kong, which was on the chart for a full calendar year from March 25th, 2021 to March 25th, 2022. I'm sure that it will be joined by other movies later this year, but congratulations to Godzilla vs. Kong. It was a true battle of the Titans, and now both of these Titans have been immortalized in the 365-day Hall of Fame. 
Before we look at what people are watching on various streaming services, I always like to take a look back at a weekend from Box Office Past, and this week we are going back 30 years. Last week there was the debut of the psychosexual thriller Deep Water on Hulu, while 30 years ago today there was another movie that got people's tongues wagging, and that was Basic Instinct from director Paul Verhoeven, a star-making turn for Sharon Stone. It debuted at number one to $15.1 million 30 years ago this past weekend at the box office. In second place was Wayne's World 2 in its sixth week, still staying at number two with $7.6 million, followed by My Cousin Vinny in its second week with $7.2 million. About a year later, Marissa Tomei would pull off one of the biggest Oscar upsets of all time in the Best Supporting Actress race. The Lawnmower Man in its third week was at number four with $3.6 million. And Fried Green Tomatoes, a three-plus months into its release window, $2.8 million, good enough for fifth place. And before we wrap out, as always, I want to take a look at the streaming charts, and we will start, as we always do, with what people are watching on Amazon Prime. These are the Amazon Prime originals, and we see that Reacher Season 1, after being below the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 4 for a couple of weeks, is back up to number one, a very popular Amazon original series, returning to the top spot. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is now at number two. Then there's a new show. It's a dance competition. It's called Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls. And I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things. Maybe I'll be able to check it out here uh, in the next couple weeks. Upload Season 2 is at number four, followed by the Amazon original film Master, which they purchased out of Sundance. The Proposal is at number six, followed by Lucy and Desi, another Sundance movie at number seven. Hotel Transylvania 4, which Amazon acquired from Sony last year at number eight. The Protégé at number nine. And then The Boys Diabolical Season 1 at number 10. Looking at what people were watching on iTunes this past week, I think it was a lot of catch-up for the Oscars because we had Spider-Man No Way Home, which is available for purchase in the number one spot, followed by Belfast, which won Sir Kenneth Branagh his first Academy Award last night. It was at number two, available for both purchase and rental. Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, which came away empty-handed, but which was one of the buzziest films of the award show season, was at number three, followed by King Richard, which won the Best Actor Oscar for Will Smith and a lot of internet buzz last night at number four. Sing 2 available for purchase at number five, followed by House of Gucci at number six. Dog available for premium video on demand at number seven. Dune, at least the way that it's listed, is in an interesting situation. It returns back to the top ten on iTunes, but it's listed only for purchase for $10. So I don't know if they're adjusting their strategy there, uh, but that's how Dune was listed today when I looked it up. The Mel Gibson film Panama debuting at number nine for purchase or rental. And then at number 10, No Time to Die, which won Billie Eilish and Phineas, an Academy Award for Best Original Song, returns to the chart available for both purchase and rental. And finally, we're going to look at the Netflix charts. And if you missed last week's show, I have a new, what I'm calling Merle metric for how I measure viewership on Netflix. I take the total number of hours watched, which Netflix reports every single week. I divide it by the total length of each of these programs. And I come up with a number that is basically the number of potential finished views, PFVs, if you will. And I think that it's a better way of measuring potential viewership than just raw hours watch. So going by that number, the Adam Project remains at the top and you can see by quite a large margin 
85.3 million hours were watched of the movie, and that equals out to 48.2 million potential finished views, by far the largest number of any program on Netflix this past week. Then we had some new entries with 18.9 million potential finished views. There was Black Crab, which is a Swedish action film starring Numi Rapace. Then at number three, a Netflix movie called Rescued by Ruby with 12.8 million potential finished views, followed by Without Saying Goodbye, another Netflix original movie that's actually a rom-com. It's a co-production between Peru and Spain. Then we have The Ice Road, which was a Netflix movie that came out last year but is back on the chart. The Bombardment, another Netflix original movie at number seven, The Weekend Away, a Netflix movie at number eight with 6.1 million potential finished views. At number nine, Gemini Man, starring two Will Smiths, and I'm sure that Chris Rock is glad that this movie isn't a reality. Uh, Nobody could have known, uh, with six million potential finished views. And then Pieces of Her Season 1, which as you can see has a really high hours watch number, 40.8 million, but it's also a long series, so a very low potential finished view number at 5.9 million. And that wraps up Charts with Dan for this week. When we talk about movies that are coming out this weekend on the wide release stage, we pretty much only have Morbius, which has been much delayed, but is now finally hitting theaters. It's the latest chapter in Sony's extended Spider-Verse. But there are some interesting options in limited release. Coming up on Wednesday is a movie called Nitrum, which is an Australian film that won Caleb Landry Jones the Best Actor Prize at last year's Cannes Film Festival. And then this weekend, you have the Sundance horror drama You Won't be Alone, which I was able to catch earlier this year, featuring Numi Rapace opening in limited release. It's distributed by Focus Features, but it is probably the most A24 film you'll see all year. We have Everything Everywhere All at Once, which expands its limited release uh, ahead of a much wider release on April the 8th. And then we have a film starring Tilda Swinton called Memoria, which was originally announced to have what they called a never-ending release. Uh, Neon said that the movie was going to come out basically in one theater per city per weekend, so that only one audience at a time could watch it. Uh, That lasted for a couple of weeks, but apparently they have abandoned that distribution strategy and it will now receive a fully limited release this upcoming weekend. So I guess perhaps that was not an efficient long-term strategy to have a movie coming out perpetually forever in a different city every time. I think it was maybe a little bit expensive. Anyway, if you wanted to see Memoria, you don't have to check your travel schedule. You can probably just check the major cities and see if it's playing near you. A lot of other options this weekend. I suggest that you check your local movie listings as they were. And of course, a lot of stuff also happening on streaming. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Charts with Dan. I'll be back later this week with my Morbius review. I'm looking to get that out on Wednesday evening. I have to drive a little ways to see the screening. I'll get the review done as soon as I'm back and get it out to you as soon as possible. I know that everybody is waiting for this film with bated breath. And as always, I'll be keeping my ear out for movie news and reviews and everything else that I want to bring your way. Thanks so much for watching the show, and thanks to everybody that's been watching the Oscar recap video. I'm very happy with how it's doing. Um, You know, sometimes when somebody slaps somebody live on television, people want to talk about it and uh, join the discussion. So it's been a very lively uh, 12 to 18 hours, and I appreciate everybody who's chimed in on that video. Thanks again to my partners at Carbon Health and my sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. Be sure to check out the description below for more information about both of them. I'll be back soon. Until next time, stay safe. Bye.